Good morning. Well, in the words of my uh, nearly teenage son, I got owned 3-1. For all the men out there, I apologise. To, uh, in my defence, Anna's favourite place is India. Her favourite family holiday is France. Just saying. Just saying. It's on the tape. It's good. Faith Brennan, stop shaking your head. Come on. Two and a half, three to two and a half is an admirable defeat. Three to one. It's poor. Um, we're going to talk about marriage this morning. And before we launch into marriage, I just want us to have one sort of caveat um, as we start. Now, as we talk about marriage, there'll be some of you sat here thinking, yes. And some of you thinking, oh. Because there'll be some of you that are single, some of you that are married, some of you that love being married, some of you that may wish you weren't married, uh, some of you that would want to be married, others of which don't. That we sit as a family here with a whole heap of different stories, different contexts, different joy and different pain. So as we come to marriage, I want to remind each of us that we, we sit here primarily as disciples who are part of a community. So we sit here as disciples. So as I share this morning, I'd really encourage you to think, what are the relational principles, what are the truths that I take into my personal discipleship and my community life? If you're a husband or a wife here, yes, I'll be speaking to you and there are some specific contextual practices or wisdom, but we sit as disciples and we listen as family. So as you listen in, think, what does this mean for me as a disciple? And then in the different relational contexts that I find myself in, how do I live this truth out? And at the risk, and I don't want to be at the risk of, of being short, for those of you that listen this morning and all, all you have is an ache in your heart, a pain, a wound, something that you carry, I'd really encourage you to come afterwards and be prayed for. But not to be prayed for as a sign of weakness, but as a sign of strength and as a sign of family. If there's something that you carry into this morning as part of your history or part of your heritage, come and share it and invite God into the middle of it. So as we launch into marriage and we're going to look at Ephesians, think of yourself as a disciple who's part of a family and some of us who listen in will be husbands and wives, some of us won't. But we're all together in this. Is that okay? Awesome. So Hannah kicked us off last week. It's a hard act to follow. Hannah Montgomery, isn't it? God dear. But hey, I get to somehow struggle into that space. Hannah kicked us off last week. And next week, we're going to hear from Carl and a panel around marriage. So Hannah was talking about, really, what does it look like for us to be children of the light? And I'm going to talk, talk at marriage today, and then next week you're going to have some practical chance to kind of listen into some questions. But as, uh, as I stand before you, and uh, you've already seen that uh, I don't know my wife as well as she knows me, but just to give you sort of a context of, there's not just a novice stood here, that uh, we've been married 15 years, and I just wanted to share with you three things that I think we've done really well just to hopefully kind of rebuild that eroded trust after my abysmal showing in, uh, in Mr. and Mrs. So the first thing I think that we've done really, really well, and, and I particularly have done really well in this, I think, is sympathy and empathy. 
So if you have a little look at the, uh, the image up on the screen, I think for me, if we cycle through, one more, two more. There we go. Look at that. Love is having things in common. I think you can tell my, my sympathy bulge. The, uh, the three pregnancies that Anna went through, the level of empathy uh, that I was able to step into, not just sympathy from a distance, but living that alongside her, that, that pregnancy bulge, um, I think I did that really well. And uh, Anna's shaken it off slightly better than I have. Um, second thing I think I've done really well, and I think we've done really well in, is conflict resolution. Anyone else? Come on. Who are the husbands who begrudgingly have to give up feeling comfortable and warm in the middle of the night? Their darling wives lean over and go, oh, I'm cold. And you have that moment, that sacrificial moment where you know what's coming. It's not even a decision. It's thrust upon you and they're freezing cold feet. Ouch. And, uh, and finally, I think over 15 years of marriage, I think we've learnt to compromise and to work well together. Have a look at this one. What do you reckon? Look at that for a wedding cake. Doesn't really do it justice. In the, in the picture, it is a half Batman, half beautiful, stereotypical wedding cake. It's a good mix. Um, who of you as parents or grandparents or as uh, young adults has seen, have seen Lego Batman yet? Yes. We, uh, my mum my was at visiting for half term. She took the kids and they absolutely loved it. So uh, word, word to the wise, Lego Batman. So three things uh, that I think we've done really well. So you've not got a novice talking to you. But to give you an, hopefully an encouragement, as Anna and I came together, we were polar opposites on the spectrum. So I was trying to, with the, with the 9.30 gathering, kind of describe just how different we were when we came to marriage. And at the, best, the best I could describe it is this. Anna started our married life as a glass half empty. They probably didn't wash the glass and the water might be poisoned kind of girl on one side. And, uh, and you had me stumbling blissfully into marriage as a sort of glass half full it's probably free refills and somebody else is probably going to pick up the bill. It'll be fine kind of guy. And we, we kind of, two worlds collided into this wonderful institution called marriage. And in the midst of that, as we'll kind of journey through today, embracing our differences as well as leveraging and learning from each other's strengths is part of the journey we're on. And again, as you sit here, not all of us are married, there are graces and gifts within the body that we can learn from. We don't have it all. You're not the finished article. You may think you're close. Honestly, you're not. I know some of you, you're not. Trust me. We have things to learn from each other. And so as we kick off this morning, I want you to open your heart to what God might say to you. What has God got for you? Gary Thomas, a, uh, a writer, talks about marriage and he says this. What if God's primary intention for marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy? What if God's primary intention for marriage is not to make you happy, but to make you holy? How does being married help us to look more like Jesus? That's what we're going to look at today. So let's pray.
Lord, you know us. You know each individual story that sits here today. Lord, you know our journey as a family. Lord, I pray that in the midst of our history and our heritage, in the midst of our present and for the good of our future, I pray that you would speak this morning. Open our hearts and our minds to hear your word to us, I pray. Amen. So we're going to look at Ephesians this morning. If you've got a Bible, I encourage you to open it up. Um, Ephesians is, is one of my favorite letters. It's not the longest, but it, it gives us a sort of bird's eye view of the whole landscape. It's kind of like stepping up and going to the top of Carlton Hill or the top of Arthur's Seat and sort of surveying the whole landscape. You see in Ephesians, uh, Paul talking about church, God, salvation, parenting, marriage, behavior, conflict, a whole heap of different things. It's a kind of instruction manual of how to follow Jesus in community. And so as we come to uh, our passage on marriage, it's important to understand where it's located in the, the bigger journey. Whenever I come to scripture, and uh, we're going to read Ephesians 5 uh, from 21 onwards. Whenever I come to scripture, there's three things that we need to know. First one is what's our lens? What's our lens? As we come to, come to scripture, what's our lens? What are we wearing as glasses to look at scripture through? So, for example, one of the key things that at the moment happens is we have an individualistic worldview. Talking to, to Mark in Portobello over the wall of the kids' playground on Friday, we were talking about an individualistic worldview, not a communal worldview of the generations past. So, we look at scripture with an individualistic mindset, not a corporate mindset. What are the lenses that you have as you look at scripture? Pain, hurt, poor role modeling, disappointment, deficit, joy, apprenticed. What do you have as your lens? Second thing that we need to know as we look at scripture is its culture. As we read Ephesians just now, the culture that that was written into was a culture where women were second-class citizens. They only had an identity in relation to their husband or to the children that they had. They didn't stand in their own right. So this letter is written into a culture with women as second-class citizens. And honestly, and sadly, thousands of years later, there's many places where that hasn't moved on, if we're honest, if we really own the journey. And finally, we have to understand its context. We're going to read six or seven verses of Scripture together. And I challenge you not to be reductionist and look at that, but to understand that those seven verses are in a chapter. Those chapters are in a letter. Those letters are in a relationship. So understanding this particular set of Scripture in light of its bigger picture is really important. What's your lens? What's its culture? And what's its context as we look at Scripture? So Ephesians 5, verse 21 onwards, says this. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands 
as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. A profound mystery. Honestly, anyone who tells you that they have marriage worked out is a liar. They might still be a Christian, but they're a liar. It is a profound mystery. What we're going to take this morning is four simple steps, four simple tenets of relationship, four ways that we can see the thread of Jesus in this passage that will help us to think through the component parts of marriage. The first one is in the first verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it goes on to talk about specifically wives submitting to husbands. There's a general command, submit yourselves to one another. And then the writer specifically talks to the wives to submit to their husbands. And we'll get a little bit further on in the next part of scripture, the specific command to the husbands in terms of headship. But let's just step back into submit yourselves to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now submission, those of you I'm sure will know, submission is a a military term. It means to be under rank. And we know, don't we, in in the army context, that it's a hierarchical institution. You have the kind of top brass, the shiny shiny buttons, and then you have the the grunts, the uh, on the ground soldiers. And uh, you have this kind of hierarchical piece. Now, as Paul writes here, he's not writing with a hierarchical emphasis. Because the other thing that happens when you join the army is that you cease to be an individual. You cease to be an individual and you become part of a a platoon or a, a battalion or a regiment you surrender your individualism and you become part of a group. And this is what Paul talks about here. The writer of the Ephesians isn't saying submission is a power dynamic and a hierarchical thing. He says it's worship 
and it's a communal thing. Submit as in reverence to Christ. You're submitting as worship and an expression of your discipleship, not a position of subordination to another person. Because Paul's talking about we're all Christians and we should submit to each other. So in this space, the challenge to husband and wife is to choose oneness. To choose oneness, to willingly put yourself under the authority of another. Not because you have to, but because you want to. You surrender your individualism. And having preached next door, I was saying to them, the world that many of them grew up in was less individualistic than the world that I grew up in. And the world that I grew up in is and was less individualistic than the world that my children are growing up in right now. Individualism is rapidly taking a very, very powerful and insidious place in our worldview. So choosing to submit to another is a countercultural act of worship and discipleship. Choosing to position yourself alongside and under another is discipleship, not duty. So the challenge here that the writer gives to all of the Christians and then specifically challenges the wife is to say choose oneness. So when Anna and I became man and wife, one flesh, there's not one part of my resource, not one part of my heart, not one part of my life which is off limits to her. Now that's both a joy and a challenge because there's some horrible parts of my heart. There's some really rough parts of who I am and how I am. There's some things that I really want to hold on to just for me. But they all are surrendered in oneness, in mutual submission. We know in Romans 8 that it describes God as giving his only son, giving everything, the most valued relationship that he had, he gave on our behalf. That God holds nothing back from us. Jesus was the embodiment of God giving everything to us. That's our call. Mutual submission, giving of ourselves and ourselves and all that we have to the other. Oneness. Mutual submission. Choosing oneness. And if this part of the letter is the specific context and challenge for the wife, the challenge to the husband is this. It says, husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now I read that honestly and I go, <laughs> just, just think about that for a second as a husband. That is a pretty high bar. Yeah? It's like you as a husband have this bar of Jesus. That's your bar. Now I don't know about you, that makes me slightly shrink back rather than go, hey, I could get there. Yeah, measure up to Jesus. Go for your life, Rich. Good luck. God bless you. 
That is a ouch. Husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Now, there are four words for love that the writer to the Ephesians could have used. He could have used eros, which is around passion, desire, attraction, lust. He didn't use that word. He could have used storge, which is the the word for love that describes a family or blood, parent-child love, that protection and blood bond in the way that you love your wives. He didn't use that word. He could have used philia, which is the word for affection, a, a shared joy or passion, a kind of partnership in adventure. He didn't use that word. He used the word agape. And the way that you would describe agape love is a decision to sacrifice. It is a self-sacrificial love. He didn't say passion, didn't say blood, didn't say attraction or affection. He uses the word for sacrifice. So what we have here is You husbands should lose your life on behalf of your wives. You should lay your life down. Can you hear the echoes of the way of Jesus in that? Because Jesus isn't asking any of us men to do anything that he didn't do first. It's not like, oh, Jesus, that's a tough gig. Bet you couldn't do that. He did it. He went first. We follow the way of Jesus in marriage. So for me... Headship is about setting culture. It's about going first and going further in sacrifice. Headship is about setting culture. It's about going first and going furthest in sacrifice. Because if I am laying my life down for Anna, it's an easy decision for her to choose oneness with me. Again, In a self-centered, self-serving world, sacrificial love is a counter-cultural act of war on the world that we live in. And honestly, a marriage that chooses oneness and models sacrificial love is one of the most powerful apologetics we have. It's one of the most attractive things to those that don't know Jesus. Living in that space, sharing that space with others, being a work in progress. We're not perfect. We have so many faults and bumps and blemishes. But what we seek to do with our attitude and our action is to honour God, submit to each other, and model sacrificial love. So just take a moment Whether you are a husband or a wife, whether you're a member of a household, a friendship group, a missional community, just take a moment, whatever your relational context, what does it look like for you to choose oneness and what does it look like for you to live sacrificially?
in the context of those relationships. Just take a moment. Where have you chosen separation or individualism? Where have you chosen your way? Let's just take a moment in the silence and allow Holy Spirit just to whisper, not conviction and guilt and shame. Sorry, not condemnation, guilt and shame, but conviction, life and challenge. Just take a moment. Where are you not living oneness and where are you not living sacrificial love? Just take a moment to think. Just look this way with me, over to the beautiful windows over here. Nice, aren't they? Pretty? Like them? They are. They're very attractive. And can you see the sunlight coming through them? There was a moment Friday morning, this Friday morning, where I was just sat, and we we live in a middle and upper floor flat. And uh, I was sat there in in the morning, and the, the kids are off at half term, so a slightly slower start. And the sunlight was coming through our window. And it was just beautiful. And you know when you kind of think, we may be missing and coming beyond the deep, dark, bleak midwinter. There's actually the sun is beginning to break through. Not, not for half an hour at, at lunchtime and you go, oh, and then it's gone. But it's actually coming kind of before 10.30. And I was sat there and the sun kind of blazing through the window just was beautiful. There was warmth on my face. There were beautiful shadows on the wall. It illuminated different parts of our lounge. It just, it lifted my spirit. And it's the same as the the light coming through those beautiful windows. There's just something beautiful about sunlight. And the third thing that we need to own and understand in marriage is the challenge with that light coming through of radiance. What it says in the passage here is that he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water in the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church. What would it look like to have a marriage where your husband or your wife is becoming more radiant. Becoming more radiant. There's various definitions of radiant that I want to read to you. Sending out light, shining or glowing brightly. Bright with joy or hope emanating powerfully from someone or something. Very conspicuous. What would it look like for you as a husband or as a wife to be investing, supporting, serving, encouraging your husband or wife to become radiant, to prosper him or her? Not just, and let's be honest, I'm exactly the same, not just manage 
the kids, manage the bills, manage the diary, kind of keep everything on the road, but actually calling out the best in them. What would it look like for them to be radiant as a disciple, radiant as a leader, radiant in community and building community, radiant in mission, fully alive in God, as Arania said? What would it look like? Because the reality is this. The sunlight brought warmth and beauty to me. It lifts your spirit. It warms your soul. If they are radiant, you win. You don't lose light and warmth because they are more light and more warm. What does it look like for us to prosper our husband or our wife? Because the reality is this. They have gifts and skills and calling and beauty and story and adventure that I as a husband or Anna as a wife help to unlock. I do accountability every Friday morning with two guys, similar age to me, both leading churches, uh, doing ministry, married. One's got two kids, one's got three kids. And we had a conversation six months ago. And the conversation went something like this. We were both remarking basically on how incredibly sacrificial our wives were of how much they'd built in terms of home and parenting, how much they'd sacrificed on behalf of the church, on behalf of ministry, on behalf of us. And the conversation we had was this, how do we invest and serve our wives to set them up to win? How do we invest and serve our wives to set them up to win? What does it look like for us to give of ourselves, not for the next testimony or the next event or the next breakthrough. But what does it look like for us to lose our life on behalf of our wives? And every Friday morning for the last six and a half months, that's been part of our conversation. And honestly, most weeks I have a list of ways that I've fallen short, a list of ways where I've struggled, a list of missed opportunities, but it is my direction of travel. What does it look like for Anna to flourish, to prosper, to become more radiant, to look more like Jesus? That's part of my call as a husband. How do we prosper, not compete, not manage, not prioritize, but prosper? And finally, as we come into land, we're nearly there. The final thing it talks about is this. In verse 28, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own body. As their own body. Not as a separate individual, but an extension of themselves. How do we partner together, work together? Honestly, I think this is the one that Anna and I talk most about. How are we not two separate individuals, but one flesh? Working together, sometimes Anna out front, sometimes me out front, sometimes together. How do we parent? What are our values? How do we use our resources? How are we doing? How are we living? Not just surviving, but living and thriving. I think many people, when they think about marriage, mistake headship and leadership 
Leadership is about setting direction and pace. Anna and I partner together and lead our marriage together. We set the direction and pace together. Headship is about setting culture. Sacrificial love is the currency and context for headship. It's being an example, not giving orders. We partner together in our marriage. We lead together in our marriage, sometimes one further ahead than the other. But we've decided together what we'll do. A few years ago, an older, wiser head, when we were in a season where I'd travel a little bit more than usual, an older, wiser head said this to Anna, Rich's victories are your victories. We have victories, not I have victories or Anna has victories. Now, as we come to an end, the next slide just gives you a whole load of different, this is my list, because what I would want from you is for you to take one thing away today. One thing away. Now, there's a hundred other things that you could do, This is some of my marriage advice, but honestly, as I've said all along, it's relational advice too. I just want you to take a moment and just pick one of those that you're going to put into practice. Hold your tongue. Forgive quickly. Believe the best of the other. Pray together. Speak encouragement. Be first or go first. Forget the score. Go the extra mile. Be kind. Have fun. Say thanks. Be vulnerable. What's the one thing that you could do to invest in your marriage if you're sat here married? What's the one thing, if you're not married, that you can do to invest in your Christian community? Just take a moment, and I want you to pick one of them in the silence in the next 30 seconds. Go for it. Okay, now I want you to turn to the person next to you, whether you know them or not, and just tell them which is the one thing that you're going to do this week, and if, that's an if, if you feel really brave and you know them quite well, or you're married to them and you can't get away from it, you turn to the person you're not married to, (laughs) and definitely everyone has to say, this is the one thing I'm going to do, but if you're feeling really brave... I'd love you to say, and this is the person or the place I'm going to practice it in. Yeah? So, turn to the person next to you. One thing you're going to do. And then if you're really brave, who are you going to start it with and how are you going to do it? Go for it.
Okay. Well done. There you go. I look forward to hearing the results next week. That'd be awesome. So as we come into an end, we're going to worship and we're going to pray. I would encourage you in this. Follow the way of Jesus. Submit, sacrifice, prosper and partner. Just think of and think upon Jesus. He submitted himself. He became one with us. He chose oneness with us. Humbled himself, submitted himself to us. He sacrificed. He humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. Jesus went first with sacrificial love. He prospers us. In covenant with God through the life and death of Jesus, we get all of him and he gets all of us. We get a really good deal. (laughs) And he partners with us through the Holy Spirit. We're not orphans, we're not individuals, we are family and we have the Holy Spirit in us and with us. The way of Jesus, oneness, sacrifice, celebrating and calling out the best, and choosing the other and working with us. What does it look like in your marriage to choose mutual submission, sacrificial love, prospering, celebrating, calling the best out of the other and working together as partners? I just invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. and If you're able to stand, stand. If you're not, we're going to pray together. And... If there is something that is either pain or vision, I would love for us to be able to pray with you. If there's something that for this morning or from this morning is a place of pain, something that you've brought with you or that's been uncovered today in the context of marriage, I'd love you to come and stand with us and we'll pray for you. If there's something of vision, something of God's truth revealed to you this morning that you desire to step into, then we'd love to celebrate that and pray and commission you into that this morning. It's not a sign of weakness coming over to be prayed for. It's a sign of strength. It's not a sign of need. It's a step of faith. So come step into what God has for you in the context of marriage, the context of relationship. Let me pray for us and then the band will lead us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you show us the way to live in relationship with others. Lord, help us to live like you and to look like you. Lord, help us to choose oneness, choose sacrifice, choose celebration and choose partnership. To give ourselves on behalf of you and in relationship with others. Holy Spirit, speak now in this space, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.